The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. And He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, we do pray that you would, according to your grace, your spirit's power come. We certainly would meet you here in these words, the living word of God. Father, would you, through your word, speak to our hearts. God, may we gain from this greater understanding, deeper obedience. May we more today than yesterday treasure Jesus because of the great gospel. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Here we see Jesus sending out his disciples on their very first missionary journey. What we see in Mark chapter 6 is precisely the very thing that Jesus said he would do in Mark chapter 1 verse 17 when he first called his disciples to himself He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here as he gathers to himself here in his hometown of Nazareth, his 12 disciples to send them out. What we find in Mark chapter 6 are instructions from Jesus that are unique to these men in this time and at this place. And it's important to understand that. That this cannot be a direct transfer of these instructions to us. Right. right? So we don't want to come to this verse and say, well, Jesus said this and did this to his apostles, so then this is exactly the same instructions for us. It is not the same instructions for us. It was the instructions there for these for a season, indeed for what is a short mission trip. They come back to him. It's important to understand early on that that these 12 are apostles with the exception of Judas, 
and the eventual inclusion of Matthias and Paul, these men are apostles. That means that these men are called personally by Jesus Christ himself. Last time I checked, that's not any of us. We have been called by the Spirit of Christ, by the Spirit of God, but not personally, visibly, Jesus Christ. And these are certain men called for a certain time. Now, I say that up front because there are some who take these verses and say that these very things that Jesus commands them to do and empowers them to do are the very things that we've been empowered to do, to go and cast out demons and to heal and to do miraculous signs and wonders. There cannot be a direct transfer of these instructions from these 12 to us. But there are some basic principles that we can take away from this text. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to look and to see the things that apply to us from this text. While there isn't a direct transfer, there certainly is application. And it is application for every single one of us. Because if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are sent by Jesus on mission to to go in the name of Jesus and to serve others and to um, share the word of God is not just a clergy thing. That is not something that's only reserved for, for, for those that have been to seminary. It's not just a thing for those who are are paid preachers or staff members of churches. It is a Christian thing. It's a Christian. It's for every Christian. That is why, church, we end every service reminding ourselves of this truth that every single one of us are sent by Jesus for his mission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is, this is, this is an all-Christian calling to go in Jesus' name and make disciples. You see it again in Acts 1.8 before Jesus ascends to the right hand of God. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, there are some who would say, yeah, Jason, but when Jesus gave those commands, he gave those commands to his disciples. That's who he was talking to, the 12. So how do we know that Matthew 6 or Mark 6 is, is only specific instructions for those 12, but Matthew 28 isn't, and, and Acts 1-8 isn't. Well, the reason why I believe that we can know that is because in Matthew 28 and in Acts 1-8, what we see from Jesus is a perpetual calling. If it wasn't perpetual, if it wasn't ongoing, if it wasn't transferable, then Jesus would not have said, and behold, I will be with you until the ends of the age. 
Because the apostles didn't last to the end of the age. And he wouldn't have said in Acts 1.8 to the ends of the earth. Because the apostles didn't make it to the ends of the earth. But disciples of Jesus do. The church of Jesus will. Followers of Jesus will. They will make it to the end of the age. And guess what? Jesus will be there with them. And they will make it to the ends of the earth. And guess what? Jesus will be there with them. These are perpetual callings for every Christian to go on mission in Jesus' name. In Mark 6, it's a specific instructions to these 12, but there are principles. So here's what I want to do today, much like we did last week. We're going to work through this text, and we're going to draw from this text some universal applications for every single one of us. And there are 10 of them. Verse 7. And he called the 12. I wanted it to be 12. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean Spirits. Jesus calls these 12 to himself to send them out because this is what Jesus does. He sends you out. He sends you out. Now, the sending of Jesus may not be that Jesus sends you to a faraway country. So we need to get out of our minds that to be a missionary for Jesus means that we have to be sent to a faraway country, right? People that, that go to those countries are vitally important. And Jesus does send people to those countries. But it's not only people like Taylor who are missionaries. Who are missionaries. Now, Taylor's not with us this morning. Lord willing, she, she'll be back with us soon before she is sent. But because she's not here, I'm going to take just a moment to say something. We sent her out, and we did a bad job. And by we, I mostly mean most of that lands on me. We did a bad job caring for her and encouraging her and keeping up with her. And we will not do that again. So I want you to know that, that we are already having conversations and we will be very intentional and have a very clear plan to make sure that our missionaries that we send out to the ends of the earth are cared for and are loved deeply by our church. And we have met with Taylor and have asked her forgiveness and she has been gracious in that. But that is not only Who Jesus sends. Jesus sends all of his followers. And it may be that he sends you into your home or across the street or into your jobs or into your school. But all of us are sent. To be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is to be sent. Here, Jesus sends these out in groups of two. Groups of two. Now... 
There is a reason that Jesus sends them out in a grouping of two. In the Old Testament Torah, it was necessary to have two witnesses for the confirmation of a message or an accusation. You see that in Deuteronomy 17.6. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Right. So the evidence of one witness is not trustworthy. The evidence of two witnesses is trustworthy. In Deuteronomy 19.15, a single witness shall not suffice against a purpose a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed, only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Right? So testimony is established. It is confirmed by two witnesses. That's Old Testament teaching. This carries over into the New Testament. So this is not just Old Testament teaching. This is also New Testament teaching. This is... The instructions on church discipline in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You also see it in the New Testament in the instructions of bringing a charge against the elder of a church. 1 Timothy 5.19 Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so what Jesus is doing by sending these out in pairs is that he is establishing the validity of his message and his messengers. So there are two that are bearing witness to the things that they have seen and heard in Jesus Christ. And with two, their message can be confirmed. Can be confirmed. Now, Jesus also sends them out in pairs because two is better than one. Two is better than one. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So what does this mean For us, what does this mean for us? Jesus sends them out in in twos. What does that mean for us? It means that ministry and mission is better together. It means that in Jesus' mission field, there are no lone rangers. Here's what that means. This is my encouragement to you. Y'all pair up. Group up and go out and find somewhere to serve. Find people to share with and do it together. 
Don't be sitting around waiting on the church to, to formally say, hey, this is where you need to go and this is what you need to do and hey, we're going to adopt this as a mission or that as a mission. No, you. Group up. Say you live close to each other and you see a need nearby. Get together and go and meet that need. Look for places and people that God may be sending you to and find someone to go with you. There is boldness in being together. There is strength and encouragement in being together. But I also want to encourage you that if you're alone, say you're alone and, and, and you have the opportunity to, to share the gospel with someone, meet a need, you don't stand back and say, oh, no, I can't do it because I'm alone, right? Because it's better with two and Jesus sent people out in pairs, so I can't do this alone. No, listen, here's the, here's the amazing thing about what it means to be sent by Jesus is when we go in the name of Jesus... The Word of God and the Holy Spirit are with you, sharing with you as witnesses. And it's the Word of God that establishes your message. It stands beside you as a faithful witness. Now Jesus here also gives them authority over unclean spirits. Remember, this was a specific calling for these men. But that does not mean, so we, we don't want to read this and, and get to it and say he called the, the 12 together and he sent them out two by two and he gave them authority over unclean spirits and say, well, that means we don't have any authority over unclean spirits. This, this was specific instructions for these men but just as Jesus was able to work through them, so Jesus is able to work through you. Right? This is what he promises in the Great Commission. Behold, I am with you. Always. But we may not have this power to, with a, a spoken word, Free a person from a demon. That may happen today. It probably does. I've never seen it happen. Don't really want to see it happen. But with us having the word of God with us, we have the only thing that has the power over the darkness in the heart of a man. As I read this and I thought, man, what a may. Imagine if Jesus himself sends us out and gives us authority over demons. That would be amazing. And then I thought, you know what? We have something that these 12 did not have. We have the completion of God's word. We can take the full counsel of God's word with us when we go. And when we do, we take with us the only thing that is able to free men and women from the chains and the oppression and the darkness of the evil one. It's the word of God that has the power to call the captive and set them free. 
Romans 1, 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. This word is the power of God. And just as these disciples had authority over the spiritually evil, so we have authority over the spiritual evil in the word of God. Jesus continues his instruction to them in verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics. Take no provisions, Jesus says. It's funny, people who, who take these verses, verse 7, and say, man, that's me, that's us. We, we have the same authority that they have, but yet they're not wearing a tunic and carrying a staff. Just funny to me. Either it all transfers or... Anyway. Take no provisions, Jesus says. Take no food. This, this, uh, this bag, no bag, most... Scholars believe that was a bag to collect money in, to collect an offering in. Take no food, take no clothing, take no money. This was a, was a short-term trip. So Jesus says, it's time for you to go. Right now. As you are. Go. Now. This is not directly applicable to us, right? If this was applicable to us and we left out of here with one tunic on and sandals and a staff, I don't think we're going to make very much headwind in reaching the world. But there are some things that this teaches us, and I, I believe there, was, there were two great purposes of Jesus in saying this to his disciples and the first one was to depend on God and the church. To depend on God and the church. For them to have their dependence on him to meet their needs. This is Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is life... Um, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not erased like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus sends them out just as they are so that they would be dependent on him to have their needs met. Now, that's the obvious understanding. But there is 
a slightly more subtle understanding of what Jesus is doing here. Because I believe Jesus sending them out this way was emblematic of a new era in redemption history that was about to begin. Because this is the very same instructions to Israel as they were leaving the bondage of Egypt. In Exodus 20, 11, God says, In this manner you shall eat it, the Passover meal, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. God gives the people of God these instructions to eat it, eat this Passover meal as the Spirit of God comes through with this final plague. Because when it's over, you're going to be sent out and you're going to be sent out in a hurry and you're not taking anything with you. Because your needs will be provided for. Your needs will be provided for by me. No need to take food. Go. And what do we see happen? God provide for their needs. And where do we see it? Exodus 16. Now, that was our reading today. And I would like to just stop and to say, Jacob and I didn't talk about this. He had no clue. And I had no clue. That happens like every week. What do we see? We see God meeting and providing their needs. As God sends them out to a promised land. Now, in March 6, there's a new era of redemptive history coming. And these men are being sent out. Leading people to the ultimate fulfillment of the promised land through the gospel. Verse 10, and he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, What's this? You know, what, what's the point of this? Jesus to say, when you get to a town, you get to a place, you go into a house, you stay there until you leave. You stay there until you leave. What's the point of this? The point is to be satisfied with what the Lord provides you. If the Lord opens you a door, you stay there. And you be satisfied with where God has moved you. Don't be looking for a, a better house or more comfortable house or a different place. You stay there until the Lord moves you. Listen, here's a pretty good motto for life. Go where the Lord takes you. Stay until he moves you. Trust him to provide for you. Go where the Lord takes you. Stay there until he moves you. Trust him to provide for you. That's what he's telling his disciples. You're going to go. You're going to go where I send you. You're going to go where I send you. You're going to stay there until I move you. And you're going to trust me to provide for you. That's it. 
This is the calling of God on our lives to be content with where the Lord takes us. Philippians 4, 11 through 15. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, nor I've learned in whatever situation, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. At this verse, did you know that that's not just the athlete's verse? Did you know God didn't say that about football? When Peter or when Paul says those words, he's saying them about having nothing. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. And then look at what he says. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Church at Philippi. It was kind of you. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel. When I left Macedonia. No church entered into a partnership with me. In giving and receiving. Except only you. And so what did Paul do? They wouldn't receive him. He'd shake the dust off his feet. When he got to Philippians, he stayed and was content until the Lord moved him. And if you're in a town that will not accept your message, Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet. Now, what is that? Shake the dust off your feet. This was an old practice. right? A rabbi would say, that if you had to walk through a, gen, a Gentile pagan town, when you got to the other side, you had to knock the dust off your feet and your clothes because you didn't want to have any part of that Gentile town, not even the dust that was from it. So it's this picture of judgment. That's what it is. I don't want to have any part of you. And in the knocking off of the dust... It's emblematic of the judgment that would come on that town. If this town does not receive you, knock the dust off your feet. This is what Matthew means in his account of this very same passage of Scripture in Matthew 10 14 and 15, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than from that, for that town. This is what you see Paul do in Acts 13, 50 through 52. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and he stirred up, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean for us, this knocking the dust off of your feet? It means that we are not to be driven by the acceptance of the world but we're to be driven by the acceptance of God. You see this, if you come to this town and they do not receive you and they do not receive my message, then knock the dust off your feet and move on. 
That's sort of the opposite of how most of us think and feel. We want to be accepted by the world. And so often we're willing to compromise on things to be accepted. Church, we must not be driven by being accepted by the world because the world will never accept us. We will always be strange. We will always be weird. We will always be ridiculed. We will always be looked at as stupid and ignorant and backwards. Knock the dust off your feet. Be driven by the acceptance of God and not the acceptance of world. And by the way, the most loving, the most merciful thing we can do is to not roll over and give in to the world and its demands and its rejection of the gospel. The most loving thing we can do, the most merciful thing we can do is to stand firm and to warn them of their coming judgment. People read this and think, man, this is very harsh of Jesus. Knock the dust off your feet just just in judgment. Well, too bad for you. It's going to be worse for you than it was for Sodom. No, that's a loving thing to do. To warn of the coming judgment of God. Verse 12, and so they went out and they proclaimed that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick. And who were healed. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, so they went, and so we go. And we go as called men and women, we go together. We go with confirmation from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We go depending on God and the church. We go leading people to the promised land. We go where the Lord takes us, stay until he moves us, and trusting him to provide for us. We go not driven by the acceptance of an ever-changing world, but by a never-changing God. We go warning of the coming judgment for those who reject. We go proclaiming repentance. And we go in the power of God. That's what we see in Mark 7 or Mark 6, 7 through 13. Those are the instructions that apply to us. Father, I pray that we would live as a sent people, people called by you, sent by you. Every person you call to yourself, you send out on your mission. And so, Father, as these 12 went, may we go. And may we go as called men and women. As you send them out two by two, God, may we go together. 
as you sent them out so that they could confirm one another's message and testimony. God, may you remind us that we go, even when we're alone, with the confirmation of the word of God and the spirit of God. Just as they were sent out without provision, God, may we go depending on you and on the church to meet our need. God, may we go just as they went, leading people to the promised land found through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, just as they went where you took them, stayed until you moved them and trusted you to provide for them, may we go. God, may we be a people who are sent, that are not driven by the acceptance of the world, but by acceptance of you. May we go warning of the coming judgment for those who reject. May we go proclaiming repentance. May we go in your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.